Hey, it's the latest episode of the Geek Roulette Podcast. Hi, guys. That's the worst way to enter it right there. Right now, do the whole podcast that way. You hear this, even though we haven't even released this episode, I can hear all the simultaneous people out there hitting the stop button right now on the podcast Un- and not even Un- wanting to listen to the rest. Unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Uh huh. It's just falling faster than GameStop stocks after everybody realized it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole mess. Good times. Yes, it was. Well, hey, I'm Mike Spragle. I'm John Lundquist. Welcome to our latest episode of Geek Roulette. This episode, we're going to do what we like to call our episode format, the arbitrary episode, where we just talk about whatever comes into our heads. Now, here's the problem is I kind of even remember what arbitrary episode this is. Is it seven, eight, nine? I think it's nine. Mm, it's somewhere in there. It's been, it's been a while because we had that, you know, that break for quite a while. So, yeah, you know. Hey, well, anyhow, we'll talk about assorted like, things. Yeah, well, maybe if I only like finally got around to making an actual like I don't know spreadsheet archive of all the episodes and topics and everything. If only, if only indeed. Housekeeping. Hey, we, we didn't we didn't even number our last arbitrary. It was just arbitrary Halloween. So it's been a few months. So mm-hmm. we're good. Hey guys, housekeeping. Social media, Facebook, Twitter. Do it. Rate us, review us, whatever platform you use. Subscribe. Do it. Do all that stuff. As this is arbitrary. This is arbitrary number ten. Number ten. Gonna, All right. I'm just going to keep interrupting you because it's arbitrary eight, and then it was Halloween arbitrary, and now it's this one. So it's the tenth one. Hooray! All right. I, I feel now it's the anniversary of doing arbitrary. I don't know. Let's do it. You know, base ten. Right. Hooray for us. Housekeeping done. The house is a mess. We'll just leave it at that. We don't need to do anything with the house. Right. My house is a mess. I've got to clean it up tomorrow on my day off. I have lots of laundry to do and and other things. Hooray for housekeeping. Yes, housekeeping. Uh, so, yeah, all that stuff. If you listen to us before, you've already heard us say it like a hundred times before. So guess what? You're not our target target audience right now for all of that. But, hey, this could, this could be somebody's first episode. If it is. Welcome. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, you know. It's all right. So, yeah, if we'll... We'll talk main topic-wise, a wide variety of different things. And before we do that, we have our recommendations. John, what would you like to recommend? I'm going to recommend, um, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a podcast, but it's more just like a sub-part of another podcast I listen to. The main podcast itself is called War Rocket Ajax, and that's going to be the name you're going to want to look for in the, if you want to find this one. Um, basically Chris they Sims. Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. Yes, indeed. Um, that podcast itself is good. And I like, and you could listen to that as well. It's a pretty decent podcast, it's basically two, two people, two guys, just like, you know, this one, um, they talk about like comics and pop culture, stuff like that. And there's an interview in each episode usually. And then they do a post interview segment. One of those post interview segments that they started quite a while ago and kind of evolved into its whole own thing to where now they do a two hour podcast once a month because, um, because they do Patreon, and that's what their Patreon people got it up to. And basically what it's called is called Every Story Ever. And what they do is they, it started out as, like I said, a a post-interview thing where they just would take a list or two from listeners, and they would rank comic book stories. They started out with two comics on the list, and this was inspired by another podcast that I think they ranked everything. Um, So they just did comic book stories. They started with Batman Year One in the number one spot, and 
um, Identity Crisis from DC in the second spot is basically the best and worst comic book stories of all time. Um, and then through listener-submitted um, lists, they would rank every comic book story ever, as you know the title goes, and they would kind of put them in between, above or below um, those two stories. And one comic book story eventually got over, it took over the number one spot of Batman Year One. I won't spoil what it is here. You know, you should go listen to it and find out yourself. Although that episode is probably way back in the archive somewhere. Um, That's a horrible cliffhanger, our, John. It is. That's true. It's a uh, Spider-Man numbers 33 and 34. I forget the title of it, but it's the one where Spider-Man lifts the big thing off of himself. Oh, yeah, when it's he's trapped in the sewer. I know what you're talking about. Yes, exactly, with Doc Ock. Um, Identity Crisis is still the worst comic book of all time. There was one comic book. Uh, I can't even Frank Miller's Holy Terror almost unseated it. Um, but Identity Crisis held on strong. And I think as of the one I just listened to yesterday, they're up to 1,200 and some comic book stories on there um and it's just interesting to listen to them talk about them ultimately you know and obviously ultimately rank them but it's almost more interesting just to hear them talking about the different stories and why they're good or why they're bad and whatnot um and what's more impressive is that they're doing most of it just off the top of their head you know once in a while they'll have to kind of look something up to reference it to make sure that they're thinking about the right story or whatnot but uh they hit most of the story beats just from their memory they've read a lot of comic books between the two of them um and they'll also rank things like you know peanut strips because you know those tell stories or you know calvin and hob strips or you know, there's a lot of web cartoons and stuff that they'll do which are webs web comic books and stuff like that um it's just interesting to hear them talk about them and rank them and all that stuff um you can go way back and find out when they first started doing it as a post interview thing if you want but i would recommend even just listening to the um the monthly episodes i think they've been doing those for quite a few years so there's probably like 40 or 50 of those too and it's just interesting to listen to a couple of guys who are passionate about comics talking about the thing that they like and you know and you might find some stories that you like that you haven't read before so every story ever and it's on the war rocket podcast war rocket ajax podcast stream you heard it here guys just shut it off now and go listen to that podcast they got it much yes. more figured out than we do screw these two guys Wait, listen to those two guys. Wait, screw those guys or screw us? Them, us, us, you, me, who? Now that, that that would be one of the worst SNL skits possible. Yes, indeed. Right. And so by what the way, got? the worst comic uh, run, I'm not even saying story, but just run, Chuck Austin's X-Men, Uncanny X-Men run, that is just pure garbage. I do believe the Draco story they've ranked, and I do believe it is also quite low on that one because that is generally well regarded as one of the worst comic book stories but definitely one of the worst x-men stories yes as it well. is and that is quite low on the list so i recommended for this episode uh, i've been listening to a little bit more podcasts lately especially some more fictionalized ones and one that i came across that i started listening to and it just started its third season uh, about a week or two ago it is called unwell it is uh, about a uh, I guess this mountainous town or the irony is the mountainous town about a town. It's almost got a twin peaks vibe to it. It's about a woman that comes back to help take care of her mother. Who's been hurt and then getting kind of wrapped up in a whole weird conspiracy where it almost feels like the town has like an Illuminati thing, but there's also much more there than it seems. And from a demonic standpoint, you're dealing with a lot more supernatural things. The one thing I will give you kind of a warning about the podcast, it is an amazingly slow burn, but this is one of those times I don't mind it because I think they, the show runs at a pace. I feel with some podcasts when they're fictionalized, 
they feel they have to rush through everything to make sure everything gets you know communicated out. But in this case, they take their time. They're building a world. They're building and establishing characters, and I feel it pays off a lot more because you see much more of the motivations of the characters and consistency. So it is called Unwell, and that is what I would recommend. Nice. I might have to look into that. And I just looked at their list because they have the list of the every story, everything online. They must not have updated since the last one because this list only has 1,194 stories on it, but the Draco is ninth from the bottom. Mm -hmm. So It's pretty bad. Yes. All right. Arbitrary list. Uh, arbitrary list for this arbitrary episode. Uh, I was sitting there and I was thinking about movies and I've couple movies you know i was watching and i was watching and thinking hey this movie didn't deserve a sequel and it was bad and i'm then sat there and i flipped him like what are movies that have not made sequels that deserve a sequel so we're gonna pick our top three for that uh john why don't you go first hooray i'm going to as i often do with these things cheat a little bit on the first one um it's a movie i really like but it it, it of itself is a sequel to another movie. Um, it's Tron Legacy, isn't it? It is Tron Legacy, indeed. That's number um, three on my list, so I figure you would probably pick that one, too. Yeah, and it's also kind of a cheat because they kind of keep going back and forth as to whether there's actually a sequel going on or not. It's like one you know, one month, it's like, yes, we're doing Tron Legacy sequel, and next month, it's like, nope, we're not doing that, and then it it's just keeps going back and forth. I'm not even sure where it's at now, but uh, for me, and I think I've said on here before, that's just it's one of my favorite movies just put on the background you can kind of watch it i mean there's just so much good with it it's you know the soundtrack is amazing the action's pretty good the visuals are great um and it you know clearly sets up another you know another movie in there for with a couple different things and it's kind of a if we'd never get one it'll be kind of a shame so i'm hoping we do get one but i you know if, if we it's do been 10 years it's been ten years, so I can't it, imagine. It has, it will. yeah. And then, it's, granted, it's, when they made the when they made Tron Legacy, it had been almost sixteen years since the or eighteen years before since the other one came out. So who knows? More than that, even I think so. Wasn't that in the eighties or so? Eighty-two like some years, I want to say. So yeah, like twenty years or so, maybe even more, twenty-five possibly. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we it's not looking good but at the same time like you said tron has a good track record of waiting quite a while so maybe when we do get that third movie it'll be when technology has gotten to a certain point that we can't see yet so i don't know fingers crossed but i would like to see another tron movie even though it may or may not happen i think the the weird thing about tron is they do a lot that kind of build a world and it, it is a very both visually and conceptually intriguing world matter of fact i would say this about tron legacy the plot itself, eh, it's okay. It's it's an okay plot, but I found myself more fascinated with the world than I was with the actual plot of the movie itself. And I think that's why I would love to see another one. Yeah. But I don't think it's probably going to happen. No, yeah, and I think you're right. I think, yeah, like you said, the plot is, you know, fairly rote. I mean, it's not something we haven't seen before, but I think the world that it, it does a lot more to expand the world, I think, than the first one did. And, with, you know, there was a lot more that they can kind of do if they did do a sequel i think they did do like an animated series which i never saw but i think there's they fleshed out the world so much more that they made everything more interesting that you wanted to see more even though we hopefully we'll see it but probably won't well that takes one off my list so uh i'm gonna go with my uh next one up on here so uh one movie that i thought was very amusing very enjoyable and the funny thing is is the end of the movie they even like you know show scenes from a fake sequel but it never quite happens. And I kind of wish it did would be Kung Pao enter the fist. 
a guy named Steve Godenkirk basically digitally inserted himself into like an old martial arts movie and basically overdubbed the entire dialogue in the movie. And it's just an amazingly funny, bizarre movie. And especially just, you know, how it kind of attacks like weird, dumb tropes as well as it, it just doesn't take itself seriously at all. And, you know, at the end of the movie, exactly. (laughs) Watch out when he plays this song about big butts. That's what he beats you. (laughs) I mean, there's so many lines for that movie though. And I just hear, I laugh at, and they, you know, Tease that hey you know at the end they're gonna have a sequel but and I know that he was trying to get it made but it never happened but that was always a movie like if they were to make a sequel yeah I would definitely go see it so Kung Pao Enter the Fist that is what I wish they would make a sequel for yeah that would be a good one I definitely remember spending many times watching that movie and just laughing our asses off and you know repeating the lines over and over again like we just did a minute ago it's good stuff mm-hmm. um. My next one is technically had probably some spiritual success sequels to it, but not an actual sequel. He's not as far as I know. Um, and that is Snatch um, by, why can't I think of his name now? Guy Adam's Ritchie. Husband. Yes, Guy Ritchie, um, which itself is kind of a spiritual sequel to Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. It's, you know, it's the British gangster, I don't know what you call it, not really a comedy, but also not really an action, just gangster movie, I suppose. Um, great ensemble cast. You know, it's one of my favorite movies again, to just kind of sit down and watch if, you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, if channel surfing was still a thing, if it was on, I would always stop by and watch it. And just a lot of great, you know, again, just quotable stuff, great movie, great scenes. It'd be nice to see, you know, pick up like maybe years later, see where a lot of these characters are, you know, see what, you know, Brad Pitt's character is doing and Jason Statham's character and his buddy. And, you know, I'll just, all these oddball characters, you know, there's a couple that don't make it out of the movie, which is probably better, but I think it'd be interesting to see what those characters are doing, you know, maybe throw in some other, throw in some more crazy scenarios and see what happens and just, you know, let the actors go with it. And I think it'd be a lot of fun. Have you ever watched the TV show that's out right now? Which one? Does he have a show now? They made a TV adaptation of the universe. It. I haven't seen it. I was just wondering if you've seen it. I have not. I didn't know it exists. What's it? What is it streaming on? At least I assume it's streaming. Uh, I can't remember. It. It's. Uh, if there was only a piece of technology I could use. I, I was. I was going to say. You talk about your next one, and I'll look it up. All right. And to your point on Snatch, it might be interesting to make. I don't know if they could though, because you, when they made Snatch, they got uh, Statham and Pitt at a point in their career. I think they were more willing to make that kind of movie. I don't know if you could do it now. Yeah, it'd be tricky. Um, the one I'm seeing, it's called The Gentleman, it looks like, maybe. No. Miramax TV is developing The Gentleman. No, what the hell? No. It's written and directed by Guy Ritchie and well, starred it's... Matthew McConaughey. No. Uh, see, you're not Googling right. Uh, it Apparently came out, not. actually, It's a couple of years ago. They had two seasons. Uh, oh, that's why it's on Crackle. <laughs> Oh, crackle. It, it, it has Rupert Grint in it, too, from Harry Potter. Interesting. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, so moving on to what would be my uh, last one. Uh, my last one, th- this is one, again, this is where at the end of the movie they said, hey, we're going to make a sequel, and then it never happened. 
And then certain people have tried doing what they could to make it, and it never happened. It's from early. It's almost a cult-like movie in so many different ways. I'm talking about the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai and across the eighth dimension. Uh, it came out in the early '80s. It was definitely a very unique and oddball style movie. A lot of those kind of movies were coming out in the early '80s, like that, like Buckaroo Banzai, as well as like Repo Man. And at the end, they said, you know. They set up where, like, Buckaroo Banzai was going to take on, like, you know, the Crime League and everything. And it was going to be almost like this whole franchise until it wasn't. And some have been trying to get it going. Like, I know Kevin Smith has tried getting it going, but I don't want Kevin Smith to make Buckaroo Banzai because <laughs> he's just going to ruin it. And, you know, it. They've, they're have they ultimately going to be making, I think, a comic book adaption for it right now, for a sequel right now that's going to be coming out, you know, fairly soon. But it's that one movie that... Is just interesting enough. It has a very prominent cast for what it's worth. I mean, Christopher Lloyd's on it, John Lithgow. You had Clancy Brown in there, Peter Weller, uh, Jeff Goldblum. So, I mean, you had a pretty good cast in there. It just it never got another one made. Speaking of movies we should do for things that John hasn't watched yet. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yes, that one and Repo Man, actually. All right. Well, I think we've thought the theme up of the next time is both Buckaroo <laughs> Banzai and Repo Man being the next two movies you might have to watch then. There you go. Coming to a podcast near you, people. Oh, man. Just disappointing. Just get your last one done with. <laughs> My last one is um, maybe kind of a cheat because it is part of a very large franchise. Um However, it is probably not going to get a sequel. At least the writing does not seem to be on the wall anymore, although it clearly set itself up for that. Um, and that is the Solo movie in the Star Wars universe. Um, I really like that one. I think more than I think, especially more now that it's you know years past it, I think I, I liked it when I saw it in the theaters, but now that we've got a little bit more distance from it, I like it a little bit more even, I think. Um, and I think it did exactly what I wanted it to, to when I before I even saw it. I was like, okay, it's, you know we don't really need a Han Solo movie in the Star Wars universe in, you know, movie. But if we do, I think it needs to be fairly low stakes. It needs to be, you know, Han just out kind of doing something that's not going to affect the galaxy as a whole for the most part. And that's kind of what we got. And I think it got crapped on just because it came right after Last Jedi, which was, you know, super controversial. I think a lot of that kind of spilled over onto Solo, unfortunately. And they kind of rushed getting it out because I think it was only like four or five months after Last Jedi came out. So they didn't have as much build up to it and people were kind of burnt out from last Jedi and all that. So I think it kind of just got stuck in this weird spot and they clearly set it up to be, you know, more, I think they even, they had even signed on the actors onto it for a trilogy or something like that. Um, but then it didn't perform as good as it did. And so all that stuff just kind of got lost, you know, to the wind, basically, you know, all this stuff with the, um, not black sun, whatever, whatever the Darth Maul, the crimson, Crimson, whatever the heck they were, Crimson Dawn, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. I forget the name of that Crimson. The Yeah. Um, there was just a lot of setup towards the, especially towards the end of the movie that just we never saw any payoff on it. And we might end up seeing some of that in the Lando series that they have coming out down the line. Um, they haven't really exactly said what we're going to be getting in that. So maybe some of that's going to come up, come out in there. Um, but I really would have liked to see, you know, at least one, maybe two more movies with that, just kind of seeing them come out. I think Alden Ehrenreich did a good job as Han Solo, um, at least as good as anyone could without being you know a young Harrison Ford themselves so um that's when I kind of would like to be able to see a sequel to but it doesn't seem like it's going to be in the cards uh, I don't know man I I think with me with the solo movie 
it was fine for what it is. I think the hard part about trying to make a sequel is this, is that it's trying to figure out where to shoehorn it in the Star Wars time frame. Because really, it's also around the same time frame as Star Wars Rebels. And I, I feel some of that other stuff, you could make, I guess, another movie. But I feel that if you really want to develop it, you almost have to make it a series or a cartoon again to try to do it. And I don't know. I, yeah, I, and maybe that's that's the thing is I think you definitely have to do a lot of because yeah, you've got rebels there, and you know they even kind of touched on that a little bit with those the cloud whatever people that you know they kind of alluded that these people are going to join the rebels or whatever. But right, yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, cool. We're going to move on to our arbitrary topics where uh, we just talk about whatever we want to talk about. You got something you want to go about first? Or you want me to? Why don't you go ahead? I didn't. I don't really have a whole lot. It's been a, it's been a busy week, so I didn't have any any anything set up and ready to go for you. So I'll, right. I'll I'll play off what you start. Hopefully, we'll see where we go here. All right. So this is probably going to wrap into a lot of different things here, but let's uh let's talk about Joss Whedon at this point, and not just even him, but I guess an overall theory or about you know byproducts of something of when something goes wrong. So. To help me, you know, set the tone here, Joss Whedon, uh, weeks ago, uh, Charisma Carpenter, who was both in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then she went on to Angel, came out stating that she felt that, you know, she was a victim of abuse at the hands of Joss Whedon, that a lot of his behaviors were demeaning and demoralizing, and that he would specifically, you know, pick and work on her to just get a rise out of her and created a toxic atmosphere. And this is mirroring a lot of the same kind of things that were, you know, being said by Ray Fisher as well from, you know, the, his were him working with Joss Whedon on the Justice League movie. And this generated then a flood and outpour of just so many different people that have worked with him on previous series, movies, and other things. Most of them corroborating that Whedon, for the most part, is one of those guys that has always been a self-proclaimed feminist is actually, you know, very prickish and very difficult to work with. And a lot of backlash is, you know, obviously coming, hit, you know, Joss Whedon. And it, this isn't, I think, you know, they say, well, let's talk about cancel culture because that is almost an entirely different debate in itself. But I think it still bears talking about here. How do you handle and deal with when you have various mediums and things and franchises you like where then somebody involved with them then does something just it's ex re revealed or exposed they've done horrible things and how does that affect then your view of the franchise yeah, and i think and we could you know and we could very easily like you said dovetail this into you know a cold cancel culture topic but i think there's well, a i'm gonna to dovetail it into even. snyder cut as well too but yeah, but I think there's a lot to talk about here, even because this has been an issue even before cancel culture became, you know, the newest buzz topic or whatever you want to call it. This has been around for quite a while, you know, even before this whole Joss Whedon thing came out. And I think it's something worth talking about. I think it's interesting, you know, I mean, when you have these creators who, you know, for the most part, you're a lot of times blissfully unaware of what their beliefs are, um, you know, what their thoughts are on certain things. You know, you're just maybe reading a book or watching a movie or watching a TV show. And it's maybe something you love, something that's maybe a big part of your life. And, you know, like there's a lot of people who for them, you know, my wife's one of them, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is like probably, if not her favorite TV show, one of her favorite TV shows for sure. And then you find out all those stuff about that this creator. And I think 
different people are going to handle that differently. And I think it's, you know, it's hard to say that one person's right and one person's wrong. And I think it also kind of depends on what the situation is too. Um, I mean, I, I think I one thing that makes it difficult is this, is that in many ways, you know, all right, yes, then this person did go and do a bunch of horrible things. Now, if you go on to various forums, be it through social media and everywhere else, you have, you know, a lot of different opinions about the matter itself. Like, there's those that are defending weed and saying, well, you know, this person just is, you know, excusing their behavior or had a bad boss, get over it. And that's that's not something I advocate whatsoever. You should always have a healthy work atmosphere, and it doesn't matter if you're doing it in the name of art. I mean... I don't know if you ever heard the stories about what was being done, like to make the movie, uh, you know, The Shining, what Kubrick did to uh, what's her name, Talia Shire, and everything. But you know, just a lot of messed up things. But I think the hard part is this: like, there's other people like, well, that's it. I'm not gonna listen or watch this anymore. And I have a problem with that too, because then what you're doing essentially is then invalidating all the work that was done by the people that made that show. So it's like saying, hey, I don't like Joss Whedon, so I'm going to punish now Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, and David Boreans and, you know, James Marsters and all the other people that were on like his shows. I'm going to go ahead and do a, you know, punish, um, oh man, what am I now blanking on his name here from Firefly? Uh, Nathan Fillion. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and like, you know, shun his stuff because it was, you know, involved with Whedon right there. And it's like, all right. That, again, that's not the right approach because it's not like all of them were involved, you know, in this situation right there. And it's just that horrible balance of like, all right, I'm going to watch this. But now is it tainted now that you kind of know what has gone on in the background, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's why it's it's up to each person to decide how they want to handle, you know, their their viewing or their consumption of whatever that person produced beyond that and i think it's you know like it's fine for one person like maybe one person decides okay i never want to watch buffy the vampire slayer again or anything that he, he has to do with any anything he's had to do like i just can't watch it i can't separate those two but i think for somebody else maybe they're you know that doesn't bother them as much for whatever reason you know maybe it's just it's it's easier for them to separate the artist from their art and they, you know, they can maybe watch it without it having something that looms over it. Or maybe it's just a big enough part of their life that, you know, they're like, I have to look past her. This big, this thing that was such a formative thing for me in my youth or whenever it was, I watched it. You know, if I cut that out, then, you know, that's going to take away a big chunk of, you know, who I was at that time, you know, and, it, and that's something that they need to deal with. And I think neither one of those is necessarily right or wrong. I think it's kind of up to each person that they need to decide how they want to, you know, handle that situation. I think, you know, like for myself, I think, you know, my general rule of thumb, and obviously there's, you know, exceptions to this, but it's kind of like, if I see that whatever that behavior is or that belief bleed into the work and it's something that I personally don't agree with, you know, like that's kind of when I start to have a problem with it, like when their personal politics, it, becomes glaringly obvious in whatever it is, whether it's a book or movie, TV show, whatever. That's kind of when I start to be like, okay, this is, you know, something I'm not interested in, you know, consuming anymore as, you know, media or entertainment or whatever. Um, it's a little bit easier, I think, you know, and maybe that's, you know, ignorant of me that I can ignore that sort of thing, you know, when it's, you know, just because it's not present in whatever it is, that's something. But that's kind of my rule of thumb. And obviously, like I said, there's certain exceptions to that, but that's, kind of how I tend to operate and obviously that's not going to work for everybody. I think part of it is is that can you be 
either selectively or conditionally objective based on what it is. You're right. How much is the person involved with? It's like when you watch these show, you know, shows, let's say like, you know, Buffy or Firefly or, you know, even it goes into, let's say the MCU. Like if I'm going to watch, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron, am I now all of a sudden, you know, like, hey, can I be fine with the fact that Joss Whedon was involved with the movie itself? You know, so I think that's a hard thing. I think, you know, to your point in terms of beliefs and things when they come into politics, like sometimes there's other things that don't make sense. Like as an example, uh, J.K. Rowling has come out over the past few years about being heavily against, you know, transgender and transgender rights, which when I first heard about that, I thought that was kind of just mind baffling because it's like, all right, this is what you drew the line at. But she's also openly declared that, oh, yeah, Dumbledore's gay. I'm like, all right, fine, cool, no problems with that. Or like, hey, we're in a world where you can use potions to change yourself into like different people or beings or change yourself into different animals. Like, all right. And it was, it's like the Harry Potter series is well-loved and renowned from a lot of different people because of, you know, just a world that she built there. But then you see like, all right, this is where she drew the line. It's like, I don't like this. And then it's like, oh, all yeah. right, man, I, I don't know where, why you could be fine with these things and not this one. And again, you see yeah. a lot of the backlash where it's like, well, you know, now it's hard to support those books because of that. Yeah, and that's one thing that's interesting. Like there's, you know, the Facebook group that I mean, you know, it's Twin Cities Geek where you're in there. Like, and every time somebody posts something new about Harry Potter on there, it's there's a pretty good split between people that are like, I want nothing to do with Harry Potter again, because if I give money to Harry Potter, then that's going to be basically giving money to JK Rowling. And I can't support that. And then there's other people that are like, you know, take different stances and it's, it's kind of all over the place. And I haven't quite come down. Like I'm not as huge a Harry Potter fan as like, you know, a lot of people are and heck a lot of people in my household here. Um, so I'm not quite sure where I fall on that. I mean, it's, it's tough to say, because I mean, that's the other thing too, is that, you know, it's easy to do something like, you know, watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, because that's streaming on some service. You know, Joss Whedon probably isn't seeing any money from that. You know, maybe he is. I don't know. You know, but it's a little bit easier maybe to watch something like that as opposed to, you know, go out and buy a new Harry Potter book because, you know, she's obviously definitely getting money from that or from, you know, some of the new movies that are coming out and whatnot. It's like, you know, what are you going to do with those? It's and it's tough to come down on that you know to where where i fall on at least i know other people have obviously made up their mind one way or another but it's you know it's a tricky decision you know i i there's sometimes where i think it's easier to make certain choices too because of maybe sometimes how prominent something is like as i said it's harder to punish like you know the characters and cast of let's say weed and stuff just because they were mostly the victims. So why, you know, boycott them and punish them more just despite one man? If you were to, let's say, use another example, you know, let's let's use Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey has done some things which has been pretty, you know, negatively, you know, looked at for the most part because of, you know, sexual harassment of other, you know, or actors in movies he's in. That right there, you'd sit there and say, like, I... I've never watched House of Cards. Would I watch House of Cards knowing what Spacey's done now? Most, it's going to be probably harder to do at this point just because of that. But if you were to say, well, now would you not be able to, and could you never watch, let's say, Usual Suspects again? All right, that's hard. He's part of the movie itself. But again, it's like everybody else put a lot of effort in the movie. It's that hard sliding line right there. How 
how much of a stance are you going to want to make? And can you, again, it's being objective about it. So I think, you know, with everything going on with Whedon, it's kind of a weird thing. And I guess to kind of transition to the other thing I was going to talk about, because, you know, with Whedon, when the whole thing started with, you know, Ray Fisher and his issues he had with Joss Whedon, when Whedon took over on uh, the Justice League movie from uh, Snyder, and Snyder had to leave because of a death in his family, so he had a bit of the movie done, and then Whedon kind of retooled and redid a bunch of the movie. The movie, I just hated that Justice League movie. I thought it was just a pile of garbage for the most part on there. It was just basically disjointed. So over the past year or two, they've done like millions and millions of dollars of reshoots to, you know, so Snyder can make what he said is his vision of the movie. Now here's where it gets weird. The movie is supposed to run now three and a half, almost four hours long is what I'm hearing with the runtime of this stupid movie is going to be. He's putting all these things in there. He's even going and doing interviews saying that there's going to be a mind-blowing cameo at the end of the movie that's not really going to matter because they're not going to make a sequel to a movie. It's like, it's almost like, hey, I just made the world's most expensive fan fiction movie at this point out there. And it's not like anybody, I think, has ever been clamoring for this either, especially given what Scott Snyder's track record is with every other DC movie. What what are you thinking about this whole Snyder cut situation? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, I mean... I'll probably end up watching it because, you know, we have HBO Max. My wife actually, you know, Mariah, she likes the, you know, the Justice League movie. So, you know, she'll probably watch it. Although who knows, she might not want to. But um, so I'm sure I'll end up watching at some point. But like, you know, the Snyder Cut is something that people have been talking about for years since this thing, you know, since the the Whedon Cut, if you want to call it that, came out. And there was never something I really cared about. Like, I was just like, you know, like. I didn't like, you know, Man of Steel. I didn't care for, you know, Batman, Superman, or, you know, any just his vision of, you know, the DC universe wasn't something I cared for. So I was like, you know, why do I want to see his version of a movie that I didn't like anyway? I mean, just, you know, kind of boggled my mind. They kept talking about it. I was like, I just, I don't care if I ever see this thing. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, just like I said, despite the fact that I'm sure I'll probably end up watching or at least part of it, unless I end up turning it off halfway through. Um yeah, I just don't care, and it's it, it's almost too, like, I think it speaks to another thing I've noticed in a couple of different things, is that he's almost, I think, going above and beyond, like, you know, like, he, he saw the reaction to the, you know, Joss Whedon's version, he was like, you know, oh, well, I was going to do this other stuff, but, you know, now that I see what people are saying he should have done, I think, I feel like he's almost tweaking it even more from what it originally would have been, like, I'm sure, yes, like the Joker the, stuff know, the, as an example, and... Yeah, I feel like he's just throwing stuff in there because, like, you know, to try and go above and beyond. Like, this is probably nowhere near what the cut we would have gotten if he hadn't had to, you know, sign off of it early. But since he's had, you know, whatever it's been now, four years to kind of sit and stew, like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? And I can set up this now. You know, we're, we're getting all this other extra stuff thrown in that I feel is probably going to be a little extraneous. Um well, you I know, almost feel that for... because he can. I feel for Warner Brothers to go along with this is like, you know what? We'll let him do this, and hey, maybe if it works, we let it stick. Maybe, hey guys, we're going to make another movie that follows maybe this movie and not the other one that wasn't that good right there. But at like three and a half, four hours, I mean, this movie, this whole project, the best word I can use to maybe describe it, it feels so masturbatory, where it almost feels like 
it's like, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. And it's like, man, I, okay, you don't, I mean, hearing about the cost of the reshoots and everything they're doing, I mean, it just sounds just overall insane how much movie you are trying, how much money you're spending to try to put as much makeup on the pig that was the original Justice League movie that the Whedon version was. So it's just mind-blowing and Especially, you know, there's other factors involved here, too. I I can't imagine a more inept business or movie studio than the Warner Brothers studio when it comes to DC right now. I mean, they, they're they still, you know, like, hey, we're going to have a Flash movie come out, and we're going to bring all the Batmans that are going to be in there. And part of me is like, yeah, but isn't Ezra Miller the Flash character, you know, actor behind the Flash character under a lot of heat because of, you know, footage of him choking a woman on an elevator? So it's like, is that really what he want to do? And you have, like, the second Aquaman movie, and Meryl was portrayed by Amber Heard, and they've fired her just this past week or so because of the whole fact that she was involved in what seems like to be a very messed up he said she said thing between her and her former partner Johnny Depp who both of them seem batshit insane at this point you're looking at all of these toxic things going on in the Warner Brothers studios and you can't help but sit there and think man it almost feels like their culture there has been so stupid and screwed up that they're just imploding on themselves every way possible yeah it just it hasn't seemed like they've had that cohesive view that, you know, that the Marvel universe has. It's almost like, I I, I don't even know what to tell you because it's, it's like they had Snyder and his thing and they're like, we're just going to go with this. We're going to stick with it. You know, whereas I feel like, yeah, Feige's kind of the, the guiding force behind Marvel, but he's, you know, it seems more like a team effort over there. Whereas I feel like this is just, they're almost blundering their way through it. I feel like they're just, don't seem to be learning from the mistakes they make from one movie to the next. And they're just kind of like, well, this is what we're going to do. And we don't care if it doesn't work out. Like we're, this is, we're just going to keep going with it. And it just, yeah. Like I don't care. Like it's, it's, it's hard to care about any of these movies anymore. Like, you know, I'm curious to see what the new Batman movie that they come out with Robert Pattinson is, but you know, that doesn't seem like it's going to be attached to any of this, you know, the Snyder, the Snyder verse stuff, if you want to call it that. But you know, it just, it's, it, it's a mess. I think well, is the best way to put it. And they keep announcing all this casting. Like they just announced casting for like, you know, somebody to portray, you know, Kara Zarel, who is Supergirl or, you know, Superman's cousin in the Flash movie. And it's like, all right, so you had this whole Supergirl WB series, which, you know, did actually have a good amount of popularity and steam about it. And, you know, that, get got you know not renewed and let uh, go out to pasture and we're going to recast this it's like all right you don't know what you're doing with your whole tv franchises you don't know what you're doing right now with your movie franchises it is it really i mean warner brothers and dc between their both their tv projects as well as their movie projects it's exhausting it's exhausting to sit there and like all right we're going to try this now and it almost feels like when all is sudden done you almost need it. Honestly, it's funny because it almost feels like the DC's movies and TV shows almost mirror the level of continuity confusion that DC's actual comics do at this point. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say: is the comics aren't any better off. Like it seems like every couple of years the comics get a big reboot where you know there's something new going on, and it's just you almost feel sorry for people that have been like lifelong DC fans. That's just 
you know, watching the, the you know this franchise that they love and care about and grew up with just go in so many different directions. You know, like all those stories that you grew up with, you know, they don't matter, and so we're gonna have some new ones. But nope, now those don't matter again, and we're gonna do this again, and it just they just keep doing it over and over again. It just and just like we were saying with the, you know, saying with the movies, it just doesn't seem like there's one cohesive vision over there, even though they've had pretty much the same people in charge for the whole time. It's just, it's again, it's a mess. Well, and one thing that was trending on Twitter this past week too, is a lot of people are going after Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns was a comic book writer who actually had some amazing runs on various DC titles, you know, in his tenure there. But a lot of people are giving him a lot of heat because since everybody has been going after Joss Whedon and going after various DC, it's like, well, Jeff Johns is also part of the whole movie making process. You know, don't just put it all on one person. It's if it's a culture issue, it's all of these people that are causing these problems. So, as I said, I it's not somewhere I'm trying to sit there and say, well, let's talk about cancel culture. I'm just I just want to talk about how, in general, the entire culture of Warner Brothers and DC's movies has just been such a hot, hot, hot mess at this point, and it's I. Honestly, I don't know how they can try to recover it. I mean, I'm not saying that people won't watch the Snyder Cut or if they make another Wonder Woman movie or Rockman movie or when Batman comes out, people won't won't watch those. You're going to have a built-in audience, especially for movies like Batman and stuff. But, you know, when you see how panned that, you know, Wonder Woman 84 was, you know, with a lot of its weird choices they made there, I all right, give it a run, I guess. I think that's almost part of the problem too, is that they've got such beloved characters that they've got such a built-in fan base that even when they take a misstep, enough people are going to go out and see it. And there's going to be enough people that like it and go back to see it that they're going to see that as, you know, as a success though, you know, like, you know, people are getting, you know, like Wonder Woman 84 wasn't great, but you know, millions upon millions of people watched it on, um, HBO Max and in theaters or whatever, they're like, hey, this is a hit, then we're going to do, you know, let's do another one. And, you know, and who's to say they aren't necessarily going to make the third one different and better, but I think it's, you have enough people that are going to see these things that even if they're bad, that's not going to really send the right message because they're still going to make just, you know, an insane amount of money on them, whether they're good or not. So it doesn't really provoke them to make change for the better. You know, they're just going to be like, well, it worked last time, let's do it again. And I think to use it as a comparison too, if, if you're like Warner Brother executives right now, you have to be just going gray, going bald, and just being absolutely frustrated because you're sitting there and it's like, we have what should be proven money makers. We have Batman, we have Superman, we have Wonder Woman. And then they look over what Marvel's doing. It's like, all right, you know what? This show about Wanda and Vision right now is the most hyped thing in the world on a streaming platform at this point that all of that hype is eclipsing anything we could try to generate right now for our current projects. I would guarantee in almost like a year or so when like the new Ant-Man movie comes out, that will probably sell and be better received than what anything DC is putting out. And it just has to be so frustrating. It's like we're losing to like B list characters and C list characters in terms of popularity and hype. How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, kind of fascinating that DC has so many missteps and can't just seem to do anything right with their A-list characters, you know, with Batman and Superman and the Flash and Aquaman. And, you know, meanwhile, Marvel's going to their C and arguably D-list, you know, like the Eternals. If you had told me 10, 15 years ago that, hey, there's going to be an Eternals movie coming out and everybody's going to be looking forward to it, I probably would have, you know, checked you into an insane asylum because 
you know, the Eternals, really, that weird Jack Kirby thing from the 70s and early 80s that, you know, nobody cares about. Like, but that's goes to show just how well they handle their properties and their characters and make, you know, continually put out good things that they can go to these weird, just obscure things and, you know, make huge blockbuster movies out of them. Yeah, I mean, like with WandaVision, when it first came out a few episodes back, we were commenting about how it's definitely a slow burn, but definitely interested. And now you see what this show has become, and it's like, this is just masterstroke work here. They're doing where they've perfectly paced out a show. Not only that, they I think the one thing that Marvel's done with, let's say, you know, Wanda and Vision is that they've made them such sympathetic characters that you can show so much empathy towards. And you just can't do that with any of the DC characters right now. Nobody wants to yeah, emotionally invest in those characters. I mean, yeah, I mean, Wanda and Vision were two characters that they're probably, if not, you know, the two characters I cared for least out of the Avengers, you know, definitely towards the bottom. And, you know, and now they're in this TV show that I can't wait to watch each week. And it's, you know, like if you had told me a year ago that, you know, hey, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to have a lot to live up to after watching WandaVision, I would have thought you were nuts. But that's that's where we are now is, you know, when Falcon and Winter Soldier comes out later this month, it's like, well, it's got a lot to live up to after these nine episodes of, you know, Scarlet Witch and Vision doing their thing with, you know, this weird TV trope, you know, homage TV show that's just not, I think, what anybody expected out of it. Maybe that's why it's so good is it isn't what anybody expected out of it. Yeah, it's it's just such an odd contrast. So, yeah, we talked about that. Now, I'm going to take a huge, like, 90-degree turn right now. I'm going to tell you a story. I just... Story so, time? It's a story time. But before I say the story, I just want to ask a preamble question. How often do you go shopping, John? Like grocery shopping or like... like grocery going shopping, shop? going to maybe Target or going to other thing places like Walmart. How often do you do that? Um... I don't know, on average, probably a couple times a week. All right. What is your general observation about other shoppers when you go shopping? What is it you find that is baffling or drives you nuts? Um, For the most part, they're oblivious to their surroundings and other people. Like yep. They're the center of their own universe, and they don't... I don't know if they know that I'd say they don't care about anybody else. Well, that's definitely there, too. I think it's more just that they aren't aware of what anybody else is doing. Um. That's kind of the big one that I notice is just, you know, I'm going to leave my cart in the middle of the aisle here and oh, not that, let anybody pass. That that drives me absolutely insane. I mean, oh, yeah. doing what I do, you know, I, I work in stores as a merchandiser at various points in time. And one thing that just drives me nuts is when, like, somebody leaves a cart and then they walk, like, three aisles away or walk a long distance away. And I almost feel like, hey, that has wheels, you could just wheel that with you, but instead it's like, well, you stay here. I'll come back for you. Like they're a St. Bernard trying to bring them back something. But you're right. Definitely a lot more self-absorbed, oblivious. Like nothing's more annoying when I'm walking behind somebody and then they stop to check their cell phones. Like, hey, there's probably people still walking behind you, you know. I mean, it's just what check your peripherals, feel what's going on. I encountered a weird situation about a week ago. And it was one of those situations I just sat there. I'm like, wait, what? I uh, I was at a Walmart. And I I'm was sorry. stocking. Yeah, I know. It, it's what it is. It's part of my job. And I was at a Walmart. I was trying to stack and load up some coolers up by their, you know, checkout lanes. 
And I'm going to give you a tip. If you do that after a certain time, they're immensely busy and it's a nightmare to try to do anything, but still got to try. So I'm still trying it. And I'm at the front of the registers and I got like a giant cart with things loaded on to try to load things. And this guy walks up, he has a cart and he stops and he's like, Hey, can you do me a favor? Watch my cart while I go to the bathroom. Like, no, not really. <laughs> I'm actually working trying to fill the things. Oh, it's like, it's not a big deal, man. I'll be right back out. And then he just walks into the bathroom. And I'm like, what the, f- what? And in his <laughs> cart, here's the way it gets better. He only had two things in his cart. A package of blueberries, uh, I think a loaf of bread, and then a shopping list. I'm like, wait a minute. You're having me watch your cart for this. You're worried that Somebody's going to walk off and he's going to come out and he's like, no, my blueberries, my bread. Oh, (laughs) curses. And I like stood there for a second. Like, I'm just going to walk away. I I just, no, you should have, you should have pushed his cart somewhere else and like just moved it. I didn't want to do that even because I don't know where this guy's been. (laughs) I don't want to touch what he's touched and everything, but I had to sit there and think about the mentality of people. Like, as I said, it's a weird self-centered mentality where like guy is going to the bathroom. He's like, man, I've got to go bathroom really bad. But I hate it if like I had to reshop for these blueberries and like, you know, bread. And even like the fact he had a list in there, it's like you could bring the list with you unless he's like, yeah, oh, I can't bring the-, I was gonna say is like, the The list is probably the most important thing in that cart. But yeah, like fold the list up and put it in your pocket. Unless he's like, I can't bring the list with me in the bathroom because I'm going to make, I'm going to poop in the bathroom. I'm going to go in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm going to poop in the bathroom. And then the poop dust is going to get on my list. And then I can't touch the list because he has this weird thing right there. But it was just one of those just weird times where, you know, I sat there and I was like, yeah, we're pretty doomed as humanity. I, I, I but I mean, I, I see it all the time and it's just my biggest pet peeve is like when I see just people so weirdly absorbed or it's just like everybody is like the son of their own solar system without realizing, yeah, there's a lot more things going on around here and everything. So I, I just I just had to get that one off my chest right there just because it's like this is just this is just surreal and everything where and I almost part part of me wonders. I hope he came out of the bathroom, saw I wasn't there, and maybe his car was still there. He's like, "What? He's not here, man! Something could have happened to my list, of my blueberries, and my bread." I'm and, complaining to management, right? Is <laughs> that like my boss is calling me up? Did you, uh, did you, not, uh, did you not uh, watch a customer's cart as he went to the bathroom? And I'll be like, "No, I didn't." I walked away and like, I'm like, "Okay, good conversation." And then they hang up, and everything works out perfectly fine, but. Yeah, it's people are people are baffling on a daily basis. It's it's kind of insane. It is kind of insane. I I don't even know, man. I, I humanity like, is I'm doomed. Let you talk about something while I think about what a tool this guy was. <laughs> um, I don't know what should I talk about. I don't have a whole lot. All right, talk um, about not having a whole lot. No, I don't. Let me think. Um, How about this? Have you heard about the new Paramount Plus that got announced? I have, and there's so much. Like it's, we're starting to get to because there's Paramount Plus, there's Discovery Plus, there's I forget what other else, plus and minus, and this and that. Like 
it is, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say I'm annoyed because I feel no compulsion whatsoever to stream, you know, to subscribe most of these, you know, but it is kind of starting to get to that saturation point where, you know, everybody has their own streaming service now and you definitely have to kind of pick and choose. And I think it's, you know, I feel sorry for people, I suppose, that feel compelled to subscribe to all of them. Like I have to get Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and Netflix and Hulu and this and that and everything like you know, like I'm pretty good about, you know, like, okay, there's nothing on there I care about or, you know, whatnot. Like I just talked to my wife the other day about like, you know, Hey, maybe we need to stop subscribing to Hulu because do we really use Hulu for anything? You know, and can we just use the free version? Like it's, but yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like we're kind of at that point where everybody's getting, you know, they saw how well Disney plus did. So they're trying to get their own version out there. Some of them will probably do well, but I imagine eventually we'll get something kind of, you know, where a lot of them end up, you know, merging into one big thing, kind of like how uh, HBO Max was, you know, is all the Warner Brothers stuff and HBO stuff combined into one service. And I think we'll probably end up seeing more of that in a couple of years once some of these things kind of fall by the wayside, you know, like maybe CBS All Access will merge with, I don't know, something else, Discovery and, you know, and it'll end up being this bigger thing because like right now I just, most of them, you know, there's either not enough on there that I care about, or it's just like, you know, I've got enough stuff to watch that I don't need new stuff as well. You know, there's, so, there's not enough time to keep up with all these. With Paramount Plus, you know, they're running this, like, if you sign up for a year deal, you can get this service for 45 or 45, oh, $450 or so a month. And the big drop it's supposed to be is that movies that get released under the Paramount banner will then be on Paramount Plus 45 days after it's released to the theater, which, all right, given everything going on with the pandemic, maybe that's not such a, of a big deal. But when I looked at what Paramount Plus was going to have available for content, so when Disney Plus, as an example, it's like, all right, Disney Plus, they have the whole Disney library, but not only that, they have Star Wars, they have Marvel, they have so many different things they have on there, plus... Disney owns Fox, too. So when I look at it, it's like, all right, Disney Plus, I signed up for, like, the three-year plan where it was, like, only going to end up being, like, again, like, four, three fifty, four dollars $4 a month. Well worth the investment. You know, I, I feel that, all right, you have plenty of content yeah. on there. Hulu right now, it's along the lines, but there is definitely shows I like on Hulu. Their movies aren't that great on Hulu. Hulu is one of those ones that, my Jen and I have been talking about being on the chopping block. Like, do we stay with Hulu? We're not sure. Netflix, I think Netflix has become great for its original content, but it has become horrible for movies and show. You know, in so many ways, movies not good. Amazon Prime, I actually do like a lot of the movies available on Prime. I find their movie selections far superior. But what is Paramount Plus bringing to the table? Well. They're going to have like a lot of things that Paramount has available. So, I mean, as an example, they're supposed to have 30,000 episodes of TV and over 2,000 films and sporting events. They'll have like, you know, things that are owned by Viacom as well. Viacom owns like Comedy Central MTV. So, Comedy Central shows could go on there as the Avatar is supposed to be on there, Top Gun, Mission Impossible movies. And then they're like, you know, and things that are coming up, like the Paw Patrol movie or the new Top Gun movie will be on there, A Quiet Place 2, you know, Titanic. And there's also like a Frasier reboot. So I'm like looking at all these things that, uh, you know, they're throwing out there. And I'm like, I, uh, I'm not interested in any of this. 
Because also the here's the other thing is a lot of the stuff they have is Viacom stuff. Well, isn't that what CBS All Access is for? CBS All Access is Viacom. So now basically, if you're subscribing to CBS All Access, you should be probably pretty pissed right now that a lot of the stuff that you thought you were getting exclusive is going over the Paramount. So Yeah, and I'm looking on here too. Like there's a new Star Trek TV show coming on there, which, yeah, if I'm subscribed to CBS All Access, I'm probably going to kind of, since that's where all the Star Trek stuff's been going, I'm probably going to be pretty pissed that, oh, now there's this other thing I have to subscribe to. And, and this will probably be the, you know, like maybe these two are after a bit, they're going to be like, hey, we can't make it separate, but, you know, maybe Paramount Plus and CBS All Access will end up combining into one thing and they'll call it, you know, I don't know what the hell paramount max or something I, I don't know i it's one of those things now this this is where now i feel the line has been drawn where we like you've had a lot of smaller services out there as i said like kind of like cbs all access this is supposed to be i think probably the first larger scale service i'm looking at right now it's like all right we did it we let's pack up shop we've already gotten all the streaming channels out there i mean look at a lot of what they offer there and it, it's funny it's almost like feels like i'm going to like a garage sale that has things that everybody has already had at this point. Like, hey, we got Avatar. It's like, all right, that's fine. But Avatar is also on uh, Disney+. Plus. I'm, I'm assuming it'll probably maybe go off there. But, you know, I'm looking at all these shows, and it's like, all right. just It's like this weird thing. Like, HBO, they have Warner Library on there. So with that, hey, they have some things going for it. NBC, Peacock, I've looked at some of the stuff. There is some things on there, but, I mean, it's just a weird saturation point where I, I don't know how much more it can go. Yeah, I think I've, I feel like at best, like, if there's something that pops up on one of these, like, whether it's Peacock or at Paramount Plus, that I do just hear, like, you know, oh, my God, this show is amazing. You have to watch it. I can't wait to, like, it's probably be something where you know i'll wait for the series to finish up and then i'll subscribe for a month or two then watch it and then just be done with it until you know the next season comes out or the next time i hear but it's you know there's nothing on here that i feel like i need to you know like i'm kind of looking at stuff kind of like you did you know and there's nothing on here that i feel like i need to be subscribed to and that i'm going to go back to month after month like you know like i do with netflix or prime or disney plus or you know some of the other ones yeah, it, it it's become this weird thing at this point where, all right, all the money we're supposed to save from not buying cable, well, that's now out the window at this point. I mean, I, I really don't know where you go from there. And Yeah, and I feel like you can, it's still probably, you know, like, if you can pick and choose the stuff that you actually want to watch, it's, you're, you're still going to get away cheaper than cable. But if you decide, like, oh, I need to get all of these, then, yeah, you're you're going to get, you know, you're going to be paying quite a bit more than cable at this point with all these services that are coming up. That's why you can't have that completionist, you know, I need to be able to subscribe to all the stuff and watch all of the TV. You know, you kind of need to do it all a cart. Like, okay, this month I'm going to have Paramount Plus and I'm not going to subscribe to Netflix because there's nothing I want to watch on there, but maybe three months down the road I flip it and, you know, you've, you've got to be smarter. But I think that's the problem is that a lot of people, they tend to just hit that subscribe button and then just, don't think about it basically for an eternity, which I think is probably what some of these things are counting on. Um, you know, but if you're smart about it and willing to go through the whole, you know, process of, you know, putting your subscription on pause and then starting up another one and, you know, you're going to be able to watch what you want and not have to worry about paying through the nose for everything if you're, you know, willing to go through that work. Agreed. Hey, uh, so my son, 
he, uh, my oldest, he was talking about, he wanted to get more into some fiction books. And he was like, maybe some things more about mystery. And I thought about something. And I wasn't sure, like, if I were to track him down, would he be interested or not? And again, would it be too dated for him to appreciate? Encyclopedia Brown? Yes, absolutely. Hell yeah. You nailed it right there. Then I started thinking about not only Encyclopedia Brown, but also, like, choose-your-own-adventure books in general. Like, those used to be such a big, huge thing, and it's like, you know. Yeah, and I I read both of those quite religiously when I was probably about his age, maybe a little bit younger even. Um, That damn Bugs Meanie. Bugs Meanie always was the main suspect. That guy was a dick. Yes, he was. Um, And I tried to get my kids reading both of them because I still had, like, where my, rather my parents kept, like, all my old Encyclopedia Brown books or the old, you know, adventure books and i even debated for a little while about like hopping on ebay and like trying to put together a complete collection of choose your own adventure um but for whatever reason my kids they just i don't know they just didn't get into it maybe i should try now that it's been a couple years um but yeah i mean i remember reading those choose your own adventure books you know grabbing different one you'd read it three four different times or however many times you'd go back after you screwed up and got killed and try again or trying to figure out whatever the heck the mystery you know what little thing did encyclopedia brown see that let him solve the mystery that i missed and you know going to the back of the book and flipping it upside down i think to you know read whatever it was and it was it was good times i think i agree i mean i read tons of choose your own adventure books i read encyclopedia brown when i was younger but again i part of it and i'm wondering this is why maybe your kids were having problems getting into it is it just because it is dated? Like if I were to read in like those books, those are books and stories from like the seventies and eighties at this point. And yeah. I think they did make a choose your own adventure books going up until like the late nineties, almost I want to say 2000 or so is when they stopped making. Yeah. They, they, they went for quite a while and I think they've even made some new ones since then even. But I mean, I can see like if you know, you had your own like old choose your own adventure books, is it easier to lay like, some of the books, remember, you own a robot. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that. It's like, all right, well, yeah, we all have robots now pretty much. You know, let me go I've talk to a my... a smartphone. It's better than a robot. Right, let me talk to my Google right here. But it was always like these weird premises like, I'm in space. And like, yeah, what, you're on a space X rocket now or what? <laughs> and it, yeah, it, and some it, of that might be, I think, yeah, where it's more things were definitely, you know, didn't take as much to capture your imagination back then and that could be part of it you know another part of it might just be that you know when you go to your kids and you know it would be just like if our parents came up to us and we're like you know hey you should read this nancy drew book or the hardy boys you know i mean stuff that your parents tend to go to you with and you're like, i thought this was awesome you should read it you're kind of like ooh, dad get no get away i don't want to read this thing you old person or you read it and it's like hey you know they could have solved it if they just had their cell phone with them and <laughs> yeah why can't they just go into google and find out i mean come on they should make like new choose your own adventure books. Like one of them's like your Wi-Fi is out. How do you fix it? <laughs> <laughs> and essentially, it's a choose your own adventure book about trying to fix your Wi-Fi. It's like you know, what do you go to first? Do you go to your modem or do you go to your router? And it just... something something awesome just happened. Are you going to go to Instagram first or Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to ghost your friend on social media. <laughs> yeah. Do you look at the message and then like you turn the page like they saw the notification you looked at the message and now you know you can't lie the end and like ah shit <laughs> darn it well it's interesting too like I, I didn't watch it and it's been something I, I keep forgetting it was out there but they did a couple of years ago that Black Mirror episode where it was 
Bunderbatch. Yeah, where it was basically a choose your own adventure TV show, you know, uh, you know, but I never I never did it. And it's one of those things I should maybe go back and see if I can do it now. But uh They do have a lot of those actually on Netflix now where I've seen like there's one uh my kids were watching the other week. Like the funny thing is I don't even think they watched the movie, but you know the movie The Boss Baby where Alec Baldwin yeah. voices that they have like a choose your own adventure one, which they have a few of those on there where like, you know, press this if you want to do this, press do that and they keep like doing it and then they go back and try different choices. So I think it that concept exists more definitely in a much more video medium. And I think that's the hard thing is now that you know you can do this like in movies, like even like, God, wasn't there like a board game out there too where it came with a VHS tape? Like there was games, that yep. old board games of VHS tapes where you I like played. We, we, we had the Clue VHS game growing up that we played a few times. Right. It wasn't bad. You know, for, for for the times. But you could only play it so many times because after a while, you kind of already get the gist yeah, of the yeah, pattern. You, yeah, you know what to look for and stuff, yeah. But, I mean, that's just it. It's like if you're a kid and you can see, well, I can do a choose-your-own-adventure on TV, well, you can do it in book two. That's a harder sell. And my kids love reading. My kids like reading books and everything. It's just this weird concept. Like, here, here's another way I'll segue into it. We were... I was on a comic book message board today. I'm talking with some people I know on there. And we were coming up about talking about reading certain runs. And I can't remember how it came up. We were talking about X-Men runs. We were talking about the Mark Silvestri. Or we were talking about like how uh, like omnibuses or like various collections sometimes don't collect everything. There's like maybe one or two things that were emitted out of there for a particular reason. And I brought up marvel unlimited which i've often talked about many times on this podcast once or twice yeah, just a few times but it's like well you know hey because part of it was is that uh i was reading the west coast uh, avengers run on marvel unlimited just because of wandavision being on tv and you know i'm like you know it's it's one of those things it's like all right reading this definitely reeks of like the late 80s early 90s and everything and and one of the people commented, like, you, man, you, you have to have, like, the copies, man. I, I just can't read on digital. And I sat there and, like, listen, I can respect that. I can understand the tradition of reading a hard copy itself. But I also look right now as we talk in my wall of long boxes that we have. And I realize, too, if I want something, I have to dig real hard to find what I'm looking for. And then it's making sure that I put everything back in the proper order. Or even better yet, if I'm traveling and I want to read something, here's my tablet. I can read and everything. And I, going back to the, how media is being consumed, it's just this it's just this hard thing where, you know, I, I think one of the reasons I like Marvel Unlimited is that there's series out there that I would read that I would never feel compelled to ever go buy the back issues for or buy a collection because it's like, what if it sucks? You know? Yeah. Like going back and reading like old Doctor Strange comics from the 70s, that's been fun. But it's also one of those things, too. It's like, I'm never going to go out to the store and buy a bunch of Doctor Strange comics. You know, so this gives me the chance here to find out, hey, did I really miss something? Or like, nope, this is this didn't age well or it's not that good. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of one of those things like we're kind of an interesting spot where 
we grew up in a time when you you collected those things. You know, you you know, you had your box of comic books. You had you know walls of paperbacks. You had VHS tape. You know, just racks and racks of all this this different media, whatever it was. And now it's there's been a definite shift to where like our kids are like you know like you know my kids aren't as interested in having you know DVDs or books and stuff like that. You know, they're perfectly content to read things on their Kindle and stuff like that you know they don't feel the need to have that physical thing so it's kind of interesting how things have taken a shift and it's you know like for a long time i you know i was keeping all my you know my long boxes of comic books you know and i was like you know one of these days the kids are going to want to read these and they're going to get pissed off they found out i sold them all and they could have been reading them and then finally it kind of dawned on me that i was like you know a they're probably not going to want to read these and b even if they do like you know like you said they can get marvel unlimited or there's a dc version of it too out there where you know, you can comicsology, you know, you can get this stuff out there and you don't have to have these giant boxes that take up like an entire room and, you know, you have to flip through and buy bags and boards for them if you want them to stay in decent shape. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, having physical media is just, it's a hassle. You know, you have to take care of it. It takes up space. And, you know, so I finally started getting rid of my comics and selling them off to the comic book store and, and buying more comics with them. So, you know, that that's, you know, good way to recycle. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're kind of in this age where, there's a definite shift from having physical media where I need to own this thing to, you know, a physical thing that I can hold my hands and people that don't need that. And there's, it's interesting to see some people that just insist on staying with the physical version, which is fine, but it's kind of interesting that we've got people kind of on both sides of the spectrum right now. Well, even like video games, because with both the current generation Xbox or the not current, but new Xbox and new uh, PlayStation, the PlayStation five and the Sirius X that came out this past uh, late fall, early winter, they released two versions. There's a regular version and then digital only version. And digital only, you have to, you know, can download the games onto the hard drive. This isn't new. You could do this on the old Xboxes, but you know, I look at something like this, and I myself, I just got the digital only version, and I'm downloading games, and it. I look at it this way: it's so much more convenient versus. All right, I got a pull out this binder i gotta find the case oh no my game has a scratch on it and i'm like but some people are like well you don't really own the game or you can't sell the game if you you know don't have a hard copy i'm like fine but you're, how you're much missing out on that eight dollars that gamestop would give you for it <laughs> right or how much longer is that going to continue to be a thing seeing how things are trending i mean the fact that I can have several different games on my hard drive of my Xbox right now and I can just pull them up. Today, like they uh, just added uh, Madden uh, Football, you know, the most recent one. In a couple of weeks, Star Wars Squadrons is going to be available through Xbox Game Pass. Hey, just download it in there. Give it a try. If I don't like it, great. I just delete the game. Or if I do, I go ahead and I play it. And at least I'll say this about the Xbox versus the PlayStation 5. The PlayStation 5 catches a bunch of heat because it only has a certain size hard drive, which the Xbox does as well. But with the Xbox, you can expand it with different hard drives. There is expansion capabilities, which you can't do on the PlayStation 5. I'm like, what an amazingly poor choice to make in a medium which is now becoming more and more digital at this point. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely, especially with video games, there's a definite trend to more just digital and downloading things. I think it's gonna we're gonna get to a point where I think most, if not all, of the physical copies out there are gonna be just like collector's edition and people that want, you know, it's it's gonna tend more towards collectors and people that want that collectability and to have a nice version that's got maybe a you know an art book with it or 
something else with it that makes it more desirable than just being, you know, this plastic case with a disc or a card or a chip or something in there. Um, it, that that's going to have to be the way it trends because I think people are just like, like you said, it's like, Oh, this disc has a scratch on it. Now I can't play it. And you know, it's just, it's having that physical media and having it around is going to be less and less desirable unless you're somebody who wants to collect it. You know, at one point at the comics and GameStop shop that I was at, there was one of the clerks there. He was trying to have a physical copy of every physical copy there was to have for the switch, which I don't envy him that task because there's, you know, while granted there's a lot of stuff that you can download, there's still quite a bit of physical stuff out there that's getting churned out, you know. Um, but that that's the thing, though. That was just, he was more of a collection thing for him than it was, you know, this is how I have to have the game because I don't want the digital version. It was more of a collection thing for him. And I think that's going to be the way games are going to trend more in the future. Is that the whole... physical version at least. Or it's like even how, like, now people are buying albums again. It's like, oh, I want to have something physical. It's that... We've we've talked about this before about the need of physical versus like the actual. Hey, you know what? I I just want the content. Like here here's a weird question I'm gonna ask you. When is the last time you've owned a dedicated MP3 player, not something that's been built into your phone, like an iPod? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was that? When cut off there for a second. Sorry. When was the last time that you owned a dedicated MP3 player? Not something that was oh, integrated geez. into a phone, like an actual iPod or something. Um, probably not as long as you think, because there was for a time I had an old iPod Nano. Like probably, I mean, it's probably been eight years or so, I would say. But there was a time when I seeked, one, sought one out. You know, after they were kind of the thing to have, just because I wanted to have more music on there than my phone would hold. But I mean, yeah, it's been it's been a while. You know, those definitely went out of vogue. I think it may be going on. F- I think I lost, I stopped having a dedicated MP3 player when I got my f- Pixel 1. I want to say it's been five years, maybe six years since I last had a dedicated player. Or what I used to do is I used to cycle out devices where I'd have, when I got a new phone, the old phone became my uh, dedicated MP3 player. And I, if it had expandable memory, I would load it all onto there. But. Again, that's just a weird concept in the sense that we went from a time and period where we go to a records, uh, record store to buy a CD, cassette, or whatnot. And even like with the advent of like digital technology and how that became, now like everybody like just like, well, I'm gonna just listen to Spotify and yeah, it's it's it went from yeah, you have all this physical media, the CDs and stuff to okay, I've got this dedicated device where it's all digital, but this is, you know, this is only for playing music on, you know, it's basically just a, you know, the evolution of a Walkman or something basically. And now, like you said, yeah, it's, I'm just going to stream everything, you know, whether it's Spotify or Pandora or Amazon or whatever it ends up being. And you just stream it all, you know, and it's like, I'm either going to be on Wi-Fi all the time, or I'm going to have a decent data plan, you know, and that's just, the way you do it you know like i mean that's i haven't bought a you know there's a couple bands i still like to buy cds you know and have physical media from but not a whole lot you know they're getting further and farther apart um because now it's like it's what you know why it's the same thing it's like i'm gonna have to go up and get the cd and put it in or is it so much easier just to open up your app and pull up you know hey play the newest thing from the gorillas or whoever it might be and do it that way and go through the hassle of having a cd (laughs) Uh, it, it's funny just seeing how everything translates digital. I was just thinking, just a 
bring it full circle back to Encyclopedia Brown. What would be the new Encyclopedia Brown mysteries like at this point? Encyclopedia Brown tries to figure out who cyberbullied, like, you know, <laughs> his sister. Wikipedia Gray. <laughs> <laughs> trademark that quick. Oh. Copyright. Well, you can't, though. You can't trademark Wikipedia because technically that's the name of a business versus Encyclopedia, which is a generalized public name. Yeah, I suppose. Gosh darn it. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> the ongoing adventures of Wiki- Wikipedia Gray. The, the problem is, is Wikipedia Gray, unfortunately, isn't as smart as he thinks he is because, unfortunately, anybody can, like, edit the information inside of him. <laughs> <laughs> what? What are you talking about, Gray? That's not what happened. He, he's, like, oh, I'm, he's like, I'm confident. I checked what I remember, and I remember that President Lincoln was a pit fighter who... <laughs> had magical ray gun beams it's like wikipedia gray somebody's been messing with you at this point man you just gotta give it up (laughs) yeah i think we should get on that that's our that's our new franchise this is just we'll we'll sell it to paramount plus we'll sell it to paramount plus it's like all right what if you had a guy that solved crimes but he used wikipedia to solve them (laughs) He still solves the crime, even though he has completely unreliable information. Uh, all he, all this kid does is he just goes on the Wikipedia, memorizes things he sees on Wikipedia, and then from there, he just like, got it. I'm going to go solve this crime. It's probably Bugs Meanie, but <laughs> I got to figure out how. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, I think this Gold is a good place to end Gold. right now. I, 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 we got to go get working on our Wikipedia Gray fan fix. That's right. Coming soon to a fan page near you. Uh, <laughs> well, well, folks, they, thank, thank you for listening. It, we went from serious to weird to serious to weird. It, it, it's been a ride. We're just, we're, we're just punch drunk now. Yes, we are. So anyhow, thank you for listening to this latest episode. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Mike Spreigel. And I'm still the other host, John Lundquist. And we will have a, this episode out soon. You're, you're listening to it now, so I don't even need to say that. I'm sorry. It's I'm, out now. I'm still having problems with Wikipedia Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. Join us next time. Thank you. Yes, everybody. Have a good one.